Influence with Michelle Martin on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. Michael Gilmore is an investment veteran with a cause. Got entries coming in from Africa, from Latin America, from the US, uh, and from here in Singapore. One of my inspirations on doing the awards is a, is a teacher in, in Pundo. One third of people worldwide have less than a seven day emergency fund. In the UK, nine out of ten people say their education has failed to prepare them to handle money. That's what I learned from Michael Gilmore, my guest today on Influence. He wants to make discoverable the global efforts of those working to end financial illiteracy. Michael's the founder of the newly launched Mayas, the Money Awareness Inclusion Awards. But if you are coming at financial literacy and you want to learn a bit more about money for the first time, you don't really know where to go. Uh, and you'll end up on Google and you'll end up with whatever Google wants to, to give you. Now, if we compare that to if you want to go watch a movie this weekend, uh, you, know, you can still go to Google, but you'll see lots of reviews, but you'll also see the Oscars, you'll see the BAFTAs. There's lots of awards saying this is actually really good. And if you go back to just two years when Parasite won the, the best film at the Oscars, now that was transformational. Uh, that film did you know, five times as much box office after getting nominated for the, for the Oscars as it did before that. But what's even more interesting is that last year, Squid Game was the number one show on Netflix. It changed the way people think about movies and, and entertainment across the whole world. And so that's really what awards can do. And that's what is the genesis of this is saying, okay, there's lots of people making money stuff, just as much as there are people making movies. But no one's really helping saying, this is really good. This is like, this is what you should look at. And that's what we wanted to do. Wonderful. You want to shine a spotlight on the people who are doing this work. And by the way, Parasite also changed the way we eat. I don't know if you tried the Ramdon. <laughs> Did you try the Ramdon from the movie? I, I'd had it. I, not, with, not with the very nice beef. No, just a simple kind. <laughs> well, I have. It's just terrific. All right. In your day job, Michael, your day job, you were the head of research director at a fund management firm. So, you know, you're high level when it comes to understanding about money and making money work for uh, various groups. How did you get involved in this whole field of financial literacy? It's a great question, Michelle, because I came in um, a little bit late to the financial industry. I mean, at maybe the age of 27, 28. And before that, I was working in media and journalism like yourself. And I had to learn very quickly. And what I discovered was that the fear I'd had about money, like everyone else has, um, who doesn't work in finance, wasn't founded. A lot of the concepts were a lot easier than I thought they were from outside. And then I realized how powerful they were too, how, how life-changing some of these ideas can be. Before, you know, when you don't know them, you don't know that. And when I learned those two things, this is like more than 20 years ago now, mm-hmm. I just felt really angry that I'd spent maybe 15, 16 years in full-time education and no one had taught this to me. And this is why we have this fear of money and this uncertainty that's not being taught uh, enough. It's taught in some places, but not nearly enough. And that really, uh, that set me up for wanting to help other people through that step, to help people through that that fear and that uncertainty to, to be able to manage their money better and, and have better life outcomes as a result. Absolutely. I can't tell you the number of people I've spoken with who say it's just basic maths. The maths behind it isn't hard, but it's the concepts that you have to get. It's true. Part of it, I actually would say that finance is basically 1% maths and and 98% psychology. uh, And the remaining 1% is kind of not caring that those numbers don't add up. You've got to get over the psychology. And so much of it is is uncertainty, fear, uh, things we haven't done before. And, and that's, that's why in many ways financial literacy needs, 
you know, a little bit of a step change in what's being, what's happening because we can't just do it as math because mm. if we show it as math, mm-hmm. people won't, people who don't like math won't, won't listen to it. And you don't need to be great at math to be really, really good at your personal finance. In your opinion, why in this world where so much is available at our fingertips in terms of information, why is there still a lack of financial education? As you say, there's Google for everything and we pretty much Google everything in our lives. So why does a lack of financial education persist? Well, I think it, we have to start at the root. We have to start at the schools. And sometimes, you know, as I said, these used to make me very angry. But then I looked at some data that showed literacy. Let's forget about finance. Mm-hmm. Literacy was only, globally, it was only 15% of the world's population could read and write 200 years ago. And now it's only 15% that can't. So we've actually swung the entire world in 200 years from basically being able to read and write to not being able to read and write to read and write. Now, I suppose in many ways that, you know, finance couldn't have come before that. It had to come after global literacy. And that's what we have now. So now is the right time. People can read, they can write, they can do basic math. Now we need to approach finance and make sure that everyone understands it. There is lots of stuff out there on on Google, but the problem with it is that if you haven't been taught it at school and you're already an adult or even even a teen, you will have learned some emotions that you've connected to to money, and that will affect the way you think about it, which is why it needs to come in there right at the beginning with reading and writing and, and adding up and subtracting. Yeah, it's the second time I think you mentioned the psychological aspect to managing money, and I think that's important. I mean, for myself, I uh, one of the greatest money lessons I learned was from my friend's father, who was an accountant, and he insisted in the good old days where you actually use a pen and paper to write, he'd insist that we wrote every single thing we spent our money on at school, 50 cents for a Coke, write that down. And that, you know, from a very early age inculcated the sense of being aware of where my money was going. Um, but and then I could also see how when I was nervous or anxious about an exam or something, I would spend a lot more in the days before. So can you tell me why you think financial literacy um, is, is also about behaviors and it is such a critical life skill that goes beyond just the maths? Yeah, it does. And, and that's why we need to get it into schools and we need to get it into schools at appropriate level that people are learning just what money is when they're very young. And then through to behaviors and concepts of money. But there's so many elements to it. I, I would mm. say that personally, that one of the psychological issues is a lot of people don't understand the power of compounding. No. And that's because compounding is actually quite complicated. If, even if I do it, I do it on my fingers. It's a, kind of, it's a lot of numbers and it kind of gets really big very quickly. But people can understand that if you don't tell them about this and you don't tell them, okay, in 50 years, that tiny amount of money, that $1 could be $40 through compounding. If you don't tell people that, they won't understand why they should save it because that $1 in one year is going to be $1 and one cent, $1 and two cents. You know, so they don't see the reason, might as well just spend it. And that's the psychology too. I, one of the elements I'd say you know, goes against us in financial literacy is that the marketing industry is now 100 years old and the marketing industry is 100% psychology. And we haven't picked that up in the personal finance side to say, let's push back. Let's push back against marketing. Let's make our product as sexy as all the sexy marketing products that people actually want to do these things. A great example would be a pension. You can't ask a 15-year-old or a 20-year-old or 25-year-old, do you want a pension? Because they'll just think it's for an old person. Mm -hmm. But if you call it a freedom fund, they'd buy into it in a heartbeat. That's how we need to get marketing and psychology involved. 
Brilliant points. Michael Gilmore is Research Director of Elbitsia Capital, founder of the Money Awareness and Inclusion Awards. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of the awards themselves in just a while. Michael, when people hear your Research Director at Elbitsia Capital, I think they'll be surprised to hear you wrote a book for your own daughter um, because you wanted to sort of up her financial EQ. Tell us about this. Yeah, I mean, and this also goes to the awards as well. I mean, I would have bought a book for my daughter if I thought there was a book out there that would work for her. But I looked on Amazon, I looked on Google, and I didn't find what I wanted for her. So I, I had to write it. She was about to go off to college uh, to the UK, and I didn't know if she would ever come back to Singapore. So I looked at the amount of time I had to spend with her, and I thought, you know, well, two things. One, she knows nothing about money, and she's going to need to. We all need to. Uh, and so I could teach her. But if I teach her, that's going to be every weekend. You know, me giving a dad lecture to my daughter, she's going to hate the last year of, of living at home. So I thought, okay, what can I do this better? I can write her a fun book. I can write a book. And then what I did, which I think was the master stroke, if I say so myself, was getting her to edit it. Because she could tell me, oh, this bit's boring, Dad. I don't understand this. I've stopped reading. You've lost me. So I had to constantly rewrite it to get those ideas into her head. But I, I couldn't find anything else. I would have bought a book if I could have found one. And, and it's that sense of always not knowing where to find the best material also led through to the Myers and saying, let's help other people with that. Let's help other authors be found. Let's find other, help other dads find the right book for them. I'm curious, what is the name of that book and, and what did you want your college-aged daughter to understand about money? Okay, so it's called Happy Ever After. Uh, and subtitle is Financial Freedom Isn't a Fairy Tale. And it really deals with fairy tales. It deals with all the myths we learn as kids or that we might you know, think that someone else can save us when actually we need to save ourselves with our savings and how to build that and how it builds incrementally. And really, it's, we, the book has a structure of seven chapters, which is called The Mission. And that's an acronym for money, income, saving, spending, investing, owning, and now. And those are the little steps towards actually understanding money and saying, okay, go from just, this is what money is. This is why you should use it in these ways. This is how you can turn it into more money. And then that's how eventually you'll be free and you can make choices you want to make in your life. And, and that was the goal of the book, is to give my daughter that concept, that she could earn her way and save her way and invest her way to, to living the life she wants to live. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes from Cher is, you know, my mom always told me to marry a rich man, and I told my mom, I will be that rich man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, totally. what are some of the different ways that, that you've seen financial education addressed, given the entries uh, to the Money Awareness and Inclusion Awards? Can you give us a sense of, of some of these entries? Yeah, so we've, we've made the, the, the concept as wide as we can. And, and we've got some really interesting things coming in from you know, fintech. Uh, so, we've got a, a fintech category. We've got fintech across not for-profit and non-profit. One of the two biggest categories at the moment in terms of people coming in is, is authors and books but also financial influencers too, people on Instagram, people on TikTok, people on Twitter. So we're getting, we're grabbing that. But I think like the next most popular category down in terms of people coming in is, is academics registering their, their latest research papers to, to tell us what, what's actually going on. And, and this is key. I, I, when I looked at financial literacy, I didn't see anyone else bringing all this together. But there's fascinating research being done on financial literacy for the first time. I mean, it's an incredibly new academic category. Literally, it was given its own academic category number last December. Uh, so it, there's a lot of research and it's growing, but no one on TikTok knows what's being done in the academics. They don't know if it's good or bad, what they're saying. And that's what we want to do is to try and help that. So the more of those 
interesting things we see coming in, whether it's from, we've got entries coming in from Africa, from Latin America, from the US, uh, and from here in Singapore. One of my inspirations on Zumi Awards is a, is a teacher in, in Pungdo who bought his class uh, 50 copies of, of that book, of Happy Ever After, to give them as a graduation present. And he didn't know that I would give them to him for a very big discount. He didn't know. I was based in Singapore, and I was planning on driving them over there. But he was prepared to go on Amazon and pay full price for these books because he, he thought the kids weren't learning the money lessons they need. That's all at that range. There's so many different approaches, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. But we need to gather them together and let people know what's available for them. Because that's what money is. It's personalization. We all need that thing that suits us better than anything else. So give us a sense of what the judges for the MAIAs are going to be looking out for. Oh, I'm going to make your life a little bit easier, uh, Michelle. I should have told you earlier, we call them the Myers. Ah, um, thank you. Yeah. So the Myers, the judges, oh, we've been really lucky on, on who the judges are. We've got the CIO, co-founder of Endowas, Sam Rhee, has, has joined us as a judge. Mm-hmm. We have um, the the chair of the Asia-Pacific Financial Education Institute, who's also a professor at uh, SMU, uh, Dave Fernandez, who has also joined us as a judge. But outside of, of Singapore, we also have um, the deputy editor of the Financial Times uh, has come on board as a judge. He's also the chairman of their finance, financial literacy initiative campaign, which is a thing they started uh, beginning of last year. So there's a really widespread of you know, academics, uh, business, uh, the, the journalists. We've also got from Hong Kong, uh, it, this is an area close to my heart because it's some of the financial literacy work I've done with migrant workers. There's an organization in Hong Kong called Uplifters that teaches uh, migrant workers financial literacy. And so we've got the founder of that to come on board as well. So you see, we got as rounded as possible. So every entry gets people seeing it who will somehow or other feel that work and have a different impact on it. You touched a little on your work with the migrant community. Can you share a little bit more about your own efforts to publish information to reach the Bangladeshi migrant community here in Singapore? Yeah, hi. So the Bangladeshi one is is a work in progress. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's with SDI Academy. It's actually a a book we produced uh, in the middle of the first year of COVID, so in in 2020. Uh, And it came from about two or three years of, of experiments and workshopping with where some students from NUS were fundamental in enabling us to do this. So it worked with workshopping with the students, and then we took it to a, a migrant worker charity here in Singapore called Home, uh, which does uh, amazing work with, with migrant workers here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we then workshopped it with the migrant workers, them coming in you know, every couple of weeks, looking at versions of it, seeing how they responded to it and what their feedback was. Uh, and then we produced a, a journal in English, for predominantly uh, Filipino domestic workers here in Singapore. So we, that, we gave to them through the second half of, of 2020. But then last year, we've been talking to SDI Academy, which is a group that works with uh, construction workers and is, is in, the, in the dormitories. And they have got that translated into, into Bengali, mm-hmm. uh, which is where my involvement has to stop because I obviously I have no idea what it says at the moment it's translated into Bengali. Um, but we're hoping to get that finished off in the next couple of months and it'll go to uh, into the dormitories and we can test that and see how well that helps them save money. Because this is one of the most frightening statistics about uh, migrant workers is that when interviewed on their way home to go after a period of working, they're asked how many of them achieved their financial goals on the way home. And the answer is only 6%. Gosh. 94% of them go home without the money they, they thought they would be able to save. And if we can help them do that with just a little journal, then, then we're doing something. 
Wonderful. How do you hope the awards are going to continue to add to financial education even after the winners have been announced and the trophies have been given out? Yeah, so what we hope to do is, is use all the data that people send to us saying, please look at our our financial literacy project and, and assess us and, and judge us and say if we're a finalist or a winner. We hope to take all of the best ones of those, maybe a finalist, maybe 50, 60 examples, and then write about them, you know, do interviews, maybe, maybe podcasts, and have those there, the finalists and the winners, that sit there in an archive that people can then find, that, that people can use and say, ah, oh, this was an award winner, oh, this is what they do, or let's say if you're about to, if you've got an NGO in, in Africa and you're thinking, oh, we should teach our people a little bit financial literacy, where do I look? Then hopefully Google will send them to us and if they can see another project similar to them that, that use that, they can call them, contact them, uh, and start to actually not have to reinvent the wheel, which I see a lot of, happen- a lot of that happening in financial literacy. A lot of people saying the same things in the same way mm. and committing the same mistakes. And I think we need to, we can learn on that. We can build foundations and build up stronger. And, and that's what I hope we can do is have all that information and all that um, yeah, database for people to come and use in future. Wonderful to speak with you, Michael. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me on, Michelle. It's been a real pleasure. Michael Gilmore, Research Director of Elbitsia Capital and founder of the Mayas, the Money Awareness and Inclusion Awards. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.